welcome to Recast, presented by the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each episode will look at a key issue of mission or discipleship for church leaders in Scotland. We will be bringing you key voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the church in Scotland. Welcome to the Recast. My name is Glenn Innes. It's great to have you here with us today. And I am here as usual with my friend Lisa Holmes. Hello, everybody. It's lovely to be back with you again. So, um, Glenn, I'm looking at my calendar and it's telling me that Christmas is coming a bit rapidly. So, yes, um, it is. So how are you feeling about Christmas just now? Uh... Yeah, Christmas is a bit funny for us. This uh, always a bit funny for us. Partly because our daughter's birthday is at the start of December, and so we have a rule where we don't put any Christmas things up until her birthday's out of the way. Uh, unfortunately, the church don't follow that rule, so we still <laughs> we still have quite a bit of things, and they actually kick off this week, which is great. We've got a whole bunch of things, so I'm quite excited about that. Um, uh, and and you know, I, I've been. So I'm going to get spiritual for a moment. Is that all right? Apart yeah, from the you know, practicalities I, I of, I think you are allowed to. Am I allowed to do that? Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, the I I uh, I've been using this Advent reader this year, and the the first week of it all has been about Mary's Magnificat, and it's mm-hmm. been really interesting and just quite challenging about how um, utterly disruptive Mary mm-hmm. understood the birth of Jesus to be, and. I've just been reflecting on that. It's been kind of sitting with me, and so as as I've been out, we were we were in the centre of Edinburgh, which we hardly ever go into the centre of Edinburgh, and uh, and it's obviously crazy Christmas markets mm-hmm. and lights and Christmas parties and all that kind of stuff. And we were in there, and I was like, Christmas has been co opted in such an unbelievable mm-hmm. way that the idea that Christmas was supposed to be, or that the birth of Christ was somehow this great upturning moment, is is lost and and so mm. I, I I've been kind of a bit torn about that and I I don't know what to do both as a church leader I'm like how how do I help the church see that in the way that Christmas is just this chaotic time I think that happens to us mm-hmm. rather than understanding what's happening and then the other piece is just personally well what does that mean for me how how mm-hmm. do I embrace this uh this sense of the the upturning of empires and all that kind of thing that that, that sits at the very heart of this baby born and 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 I, I don't really have any answers but you are the smart one on this podcast so do you have any answers for me how well, do I, I live that I, I, I'm a bit shocked I thought you were maybe going to just talk about what presents you were going to buy for Karen and Zoe for Christmas so you know, uh, I'm like well, it's you a bit see, deeper the, than that isn't it yeah, that's it. They, they're the first people to download the podcast, or maybe the only of people course. to download the podcast. So if I tell them what they're getting for Christmas, they'll be spoiled. <laughs> that's true. But you, but you're so you're so right. It's um, I don't know. I don't know that I do have any answers. But it, we have kind of made it a little bit kind of sanitized and uh, superficial in so many different ways. And actually, that revolutionary nature of the coming of Christ is is hard to to know. It's hard to work out in practical terms, isn't it? In in the midst of your Christmas dinner, and it just seems all very kind of normal and safe. And I I've been reflecting a little bit. Um, um, Simeon and Anna, um, that story, and and again, it's about the compelling nature of the coming of Jesus because they just waited and waited for decades. Yeah. In a kind of hope, you know, I mean, it's okay for us because we know what the end of the story is, but they were just like hanging out, waiting with expectancy and and just knowing that that when when Jesus came, everything would be different. Everything would be transformed and changed. And something that really struck me the other day was they waited and waited and eventually, obviously, Mary and Joseph turned up with the baby and they went, oh, this is him. This is the one. Um but then they most probably died before they saw really any evidence mm. of that transforming revolutionary presence and power of God made flesh. I mean, they kind of knew that it was like that, but they probably never saw it at all. And I just never really realized that before. Um, 
but they just knew that that something completely, mm. I mean, literally world changing had yeah. had happened. So I don't know how you bring that into a Christmas morning. I mean, we should put our trees upside down or something. Yeah, 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 or something <laughs> like that. And I mean, I, I, I'm also very conscious that for you know, our, our, some of our listeners are church leaders, and and I suspect mm-hmm. most of our listeners are church leaders. Um, and and this can be just such a busy time that the possibility of slowing down to think about those kind of mm-hmm. questions mm-hmm. is is almost impossible because there's just there's mm-hmm. stuff to be done and things to happen, and both in your personal life and in your church life, and yeah. and uh, the 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 season of Advent can actually be a season of exhaustion rather than, yeah. than something to embrace waiting and, and, and listening and, and, and reflecting. So uh, mm. for those of you that are in that spell, well done. You're doing yeah, a great well job. It matters. You know, the opportunity to proclaim Jesus at this time of yeah. year is probably unique I in our I have some spare culture. sermons and PowerPoints and videos if anyone's really desperate as well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Uh, that's good. The, I, I think there's also um, one other piece that I think is worth mentioning around this whole Christmas thing, which is 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 the idea that... Um, we need to uh, embrace everything that the world's doing, mm-hmm. and 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 so so we have to do all of these things, and 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 actually, I I I just want us to think that maybe it would be okay to reject some things mm-hmm. that 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 to have a boundary that said, you know what, no, we're not doing that, no, we're not doing that. Actually, we're going to do something else. Mm-hmm. Might be one of the most life giving things. I was going to say you, but actually mm-hmm. I'm going to own that for myself. One of the most life-threatening things I could do this Christmas is just say, you know what, no, no, we're going to do this and we're going to lean into uh, into the things that mm-hmm. we think, the, the values that God's given us and uh, mm-hmm. are, are calling us to. So mm-hmm. it's good. Uh, our, our guest today has literally nothing to do with Christmas. Our conversation, I'm not even sure, references Christmas. Uh, I don't think it does. It does but reference it, Jesus, though. It that does reference Christmas Jesus, and that that is absolutely true. And it does also reference that that a little bit that idea of change that I'm talking about, mm. or trying to understand what's going on there. And we we talk with that. Our, our guest today is Rich Robinson. Uh, Rich is a man of many talents uh, and leads a couple of organisations that help us with change. And we had a conversation with him about his chapter in a new book that has come out called Red Skies. We hope you enjoy this conversation and we'll chat with you more on the other side. We are delighted today to have uh, Rich Robinson with us. Uh, Rich is uh, many things, including an author, and we're going to talk to him today about uh, his work in a new book called Red Skies. And the book tells us that Rich is a spiritual entrepreneur, a movement catalyst, a founder of Catalyze Change and Movement Leaders Collective, with a passion for releasing kingdom potential in leaders and organizations. Rich has led pioneering training across the globe to bring about spiritual, strategic and social change. And here he is with us on our wee podcast, Lisa. Welcome, Rich. You sound like just an absolutely amazing human being. It's such a privilege to have you on here. Um, I'm not even sure I understand all those words that Glenn just read out. So, so tell us in your own words kind of what that looks like. Yeah, I, I have I have my moments. There's highs and lows, Lisa. Don't don't you worry. Trust <laughs> me. Um, it, the, the essence, I would say, is to release potential in whether it's a person, whether it's a team, whether it's an organization. So the sense of how do I help them discover their God-given gifting or potential that actually then becomes realized. So there's not a frustration or a misstep or a I wish or how could I or I might. So honestly, whether that's with a denomination, whether it's a business or a charity, just an individual, it's helping them to sort of find their place in the God story, release who they are and step into into that and hopefully make a difference. So we do that in numerous different ways, different sort of training initiatives and resources and environments. But the essence is really to, to release the potential God's placed in that person or that place or that that team for them to fulfil their their commission, their calling, their vision and mission. Well, that sounds really good, and I can understand that. So that's excellent. And when you are not doing that, 
Um, you're based in Edinburgh and what do you like <laughs> doing to relax and what makes you you? Uh, I, I love to walk. So I'm sort of ADHD, hyperactive, struggle to sit still. Um, so the sort of activity of early morning walks with my wife or walks with the family. So I love to be active. Um, so the walking is one. Uh, I love sport. So I coach my youngest uh, son's soccer team and love to play and, and coach football. Um, and then probably the third is films or series I love the sort of building that the sort of either reading a book or watching a series that sort of building of a narrative I just love love that sort of part of it so whether that's sort of a a book that I get to sort of lose myself in or a a series that I I might watch it's that that's probably the third part and and what what's your film or series that you're into right now Uh, we're watching The Handmaid's Tale right now which is dark isn't it yeah, brilliant, brutal, horrible, compelling, all at once. Wow. Yeah, it's not like it's not like generally don't do sort of light-hearted, fluffy rom-coms. No, it's not sounding like you do. Well, we're really appreciative of you sitting still for the next thirty minutes to talk to uh, us. I've got a stand-up desk, Lisa, so I'm Happy actually going to be moving around while I talk to you. Okay, that's good. Well, it's <laughs> just audio, so we'll be all right with that. <laughs> Great, and, and it'd be fair to say the book that we're going to talk about today, Red Skies, is a little less dark than Handmaid Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale, uh, which is uh, good news for everyone, uh, which is great. But it is somewhat uh, looking at the future, um, which I guess is a bit of a link there. Uh, and the book is published by 100 Movements Publishing. It's, well, I would describe it as a collection of essays. I don't know if you would see that as a fair uh, thing. By some really impressive people, uh, it, you being at the top of the list, of course, Rich, but we... <laughs> Uh, you've got Al here. She's nowhere got, close. Uh, nowhere oh, close. Sorry, I'm nowhere close to the top of that list. Don't <laughs> you worry. I think I think I got in on a technicality somehow. <laughs> but we've got Alan here, Shalane Sweet, Brian Sanders, uh, Mike Frost, Deborah Hirsch, um, Lisa Rodriguez Watson, uh, Gregory Coles are some people that folks might have heard of. And there's some really other interesting voices in there that I wasn't aware of uh, mm. before Onea Okawubi and uh, Jay Kim uh, among them. And I think they've got interesting things to say to us. The book's really looking at the future of the church and through some different lenses, uh, including things like race and leadership and sexuality uh, technology, creation, care, migration, and a few other things. So it's a it, it's quite an eclectic book, but it hangs together on this idea of uh, looking at the the looking at the skies and seeing red sky at night, shepherds delight, red sky in the morning, shepherds warning. What what are the skies telling us? What is going on uh, at the moment? And the book was published just this year. So it's very up to date, which is funny. Things like a pandemic can make a book go out of date very quickly. Very quickly. Um, yeah. uh, I was I was reading uh, a book just the other day that looks at um, uh, how maps tell the story of the world. Uh, it's a brilliant book, um, but it's out of date. It's, it's massively out of date, and it's only probably four or five years old. It's. Uh, so this one is not out of date. It's uh, very up to date and, and is actually reflecting on some of those uh, issues. Um, your chapter, Rick, is called uh, The Genius of the Scene. And I wonder if you might just give us a quick snapshot of what, what you intended to write before I tell people what I thought you wrote. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the book itself, to frame the chapter, it is, as you say, Glenn, a sense of looking ahead, reading the signs of the times is that the challenge that Jesus gives the Pharisees. And it for us is not a here's the future of the church we we know best or a sort of to-do list or a this is going to happen. What we challenge the authors to do is in these key areas, and, and I took the genius of the scene, the collective intelligence, to say what, what's the possibilities, but also what are the problems that we see as we project forward. So it's not all sort of unicorn and rainbows and this is going to be wonderful. It's actually here's some of the dangers that we see, here's some of the pitfalls, the battles, as well as here are some of the opportunities for the church. So my my chapter, The Genius of the Scene, I, I was given the, the chapter around leadership. 
And really that shift from the solo heroic leader, often male, often at the top of a hierarchy or on a stage or with charisma, and what does it look like for us to embrace uh, leadership, which is more shared, which is more communal, which is perhaps more values-based rather than charisma-based, that's actually more dispersed rather than centralized, and actually appreciates the generational perspectives on leadership, which are very different. So I had these four key shifts that, that we'll talk about, three of those four as we journey through the chapter. But that that was really the sense, Glenn, of how do we reimagine leadership over the coming 10, 15, 20 years? Brilliant. And I think you did a great job. I would recommend people to read the book. I, before ever, anything else we say, I, th I think people should go out uh, and get the book. And we'll put uh, links to the the uh, various uh, places you can get it in the show notes so folks can pick that up. Um, you talked about these four shifts. And uh, you it, it, to put them in my words rather than yours, um, the first shift is that the millennial worldview becomes dominant rather than uh, what has been previously. The second is that the importance of collective intelligence. The third is that online is here to stay. And we're just going to say for the sake of today's podcast that we accept that and we're just going to move on. We're not going to spend all our time uh, on, on that. We'll just go tick. Yeah, well done, Richie. Nailed that one. And then the last one is this sense that leadership needs to return to looking something like Jesus' leadership, to being modelled around around uh, Jesus and the way that he led and lived. Um, I guess it makes sense to start at the beginning. So we'll start with the kind of first of these is these shifts. And you, I mean, you touched on it already a little bit. It's this shift away from the idea of, and, and I, I use um, the phrase uh, properly, a big boss man at the top of a a hierarchy towards something driven by a more millennial kind of commitment to, I guess, uh, broader ideas uh, that are not just focused on one thing, but are committed to a, a breadth of ideas. And you, you name some of them as things like communal decision making. So that shifts away from the big boss man, but also some of the issues that people care about are much less just single focus, but actually wanting to say, yeah, we care about creation and social justice. We care about the gospel and common good. We care about um, equity and equality, and these things really matter. And how do we hold all that together? So I wonder, Rich, that shift is really difficult. Um, and I'm sure we could all point to places where, We've been in a church in particular where there's a group of young people who are passionately committed to something and there's a group of other people who have all the controls and levers. And it's not to say one is right and one is wrong, but in terms of future, one is definitely going to become the dominant narrative is what I hear you saying. But the moment of that shift is fraught with tension and fraught with challenge. And I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about how that works out and how you see that working out over the next little while. Yeah. And I think, Glenn, you, you named a couple of things that where I would start, which is it's not one group versus the other. It's not one is better than the other. And sort of it's sort of you've had your time, get out the way and, and shove past or sort of I'm not going to let go until. So I think the first piece I would say, which I, I always look at the work and the writing of the Apostle Paul, and I look at the ministry of Jesus, unity is a key factor in this, this conversation. So how do these two groups find a way forward rather than one group wins and one group doesn't? So the change will happen just because of time passing with age and stage. So, so the sort of boomer, Gen X, millennial, there's different worldviews that are found in those different generations. Um, and often currently the organizations, um, not only the only worldview and not the one worldview, but there's a sense of a shift away from not only the big boss man, but also the priority on the bottom line. So it's kind of get the job done at all costs, will we need to. And so I think what we see now in the sort of 20-something or 30-something is it's not just about sort of making a living. It's about making a life. There's far more than just I'm going to sacrifice myself, my family, my health on the altar of the bottom line of performance, achievement, success. So 
there's there's a shift in terms of what the metrics for successful leadership are um, and fruitful leadership. There's also a shift in the values. So integrity is something in a millennial generation that is growing. And there's often the zealousness of youth and it's still being worked out, but it's definitely a core value for that generation as they, they find it through. So they are as concerned where the leader shops and how they treat X, Y, Z and what they do on a Monday as they are on the Sunday or wherever they are. So it's sort of a shift, a shift from the metrics of leadership, the values of leadership, and also the outputs of, of leadership. So actually there's a difference that this generation wants to see as impact in the world. And so most organizations have a leadership structure and a leadership scorecard from one generation. And so there's a tough balance of we can't have the, the coming millennial generation come into our scorecard and our culture. They don't fit and they don't understand. Um, so in, in Creo, with training Christian entrepreneurs, the, the example I usually use is we have a 25-year-old Christian entrepreneur who says, I'm going to start a coffee shop, which is also going to become a church, which is also going to have social impact. And that the 55-year-old says, well, are you starting a business or planting a church and the 25 year old says i'm starting a coffee shop that's going to become a church that's going to have social impact and there's two sort of one speaking french one speaking german both of both are words both are looking at each other trying to communicate but it's just two different two different languages so it's both generations learning a different language which is the cost of relationship because if they don't it does become us versus them and and we're everything everything is lost in translation. So the shift for me over the next 20, 30 years will be the integrity and the lifestyle of a leader, the metrics around how many people get to speak in, how much diversity and different perspective is in the room, how have we got to making the decision, not the decision itself, is, is important. So there's just the shifts there, Glenn, that as you say, fraught, fraught with potential frustration, misunderstanding, misalignment, but important for us to recognize those shifts as, as leadership, the, the archetype of leadership and the praxis, the, the activity of leadership shifts over time. Wow, Rich. I mean, that just sounds really appealing to me. I'm not a millennial. You can see that on the screen. Um, but, you know, life, not a living, um, values-based and, you know, shared leadership, uh, those kind of things are, are really appealing. But the truth is in the church, in the main, we live with a different dominant culture still, don't we? And um, I, you know, I really like what you said about it's not one versus the other, Um but there's some some kind of stark realities, aren't there, around the aging of the church and the and the dominant culture in terms of prevailing leadership. Um, you know, how do how do we actually work with that as current leaders? Um, how do we navigate that? I get what you're saying about learning a different language, but as younger folks are not tending to join a lot of our churches, how do we navigate that in a way that means that one doesn't have to kind of die and another start in a different space or is that the answer that's a, that's a great great question lisa um uh, he, here would be some of my thoughts not not the answer or the way but but a couple of thoughts one would be to learn a different language you have to want to learn that language because it is hard work so if you're learning a different language because you have to mm -hmm. ultimately you're not going to put the energy in so both generations current and coming through need to want to learn each other's language which you don't have to become fluent sort of we don't necessarily speak fluent french but i can get by to order a croissant and a pizza uh, i've got enough do you know what i mean so mm -hmm. it's not violating that culture or, or butchering the culture but it's also not necessarily knowing everything about everything so the first would be both generations need to choose to come towards each other I think the second piece would be, Lisa, finding a place where we can almost work the muscles and build the muscles of being together in the same space. Mm -hmm. And uh, my perspective would be that the older generation needs to come towards the younger generation in that regard. So if the older generation say, we are concerned about this, would you younger leaders come and 
help us work this out. That's a bigger chasm for a 25-year-old to come into a world they don't understand. Whereas actually for an older leader that has the power and the agency to say, we are going to come and learn and listen and grow in an in a, an area that you're passionate about as a younger leader, that's an easier conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think picking a place of conversation, connection, and actually work, so collaboration, not just in word, but in deed. Um, so whether that's we pick an issue, we pick an opportunity, we pick a, a neighborhood, and how can we together do, do X, Y, Z? Um, so that that sense of sort of choosing to come together, mm-hmm. picking a place where we can listen to ideas and learn from each other and actually do something together, I think that's it. And it starts small, Lisa. It's always small sort of seeds. The mustard seed grows. The yeast makes an impact. So it's not grand gesture time mm-hmm. because, honestly, the millennial generation isn't fully ready to lead everything right now. And so there's real wisdom that's mm-hmm. lost if one generation exits and lumps the other one into, into the space. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also they want to lead. So the expectation for a 20-something-year-old is – I do want to be able to email the CEO with my feedback and idea. And I do, I don't want to once a year line management review. I want constant feedback. And I do want to be able to speak into this. Whereas growing up, it would be I see see the boss at the Christmas party once and I have a once a year management and the doors are clo- it's it's floor six or floor eight or floor 12. And I well, you kind of work your way up the floor. So it's a different world it mm-hmm. is a different world and so both have to appreciate each other's heritage and history short on short on the earth of life in a millennial mm-hmm. generation longer in the earth to come together in that yeah that's, that's really good isn't it so you've got an openness to and an intention to want to have the conversation and learn and listen and the integrity which i think you're right it's not the grand gestures because actually that can easily lack integrity it just becomes a one-off thing worse, I think, Lisa, yeah. honestly because most most younger leaders either feel patronized mm-hmm. or they see right through it or it actually builds a disappointment in them to say you you promised this and you didn't didn't follow through mm-hmm. um, so, so it, needs a, so, it needs a vulnerability and a humility yeah. on both sides to go yeah. we don't have all the answers but let's try and figure yeah. out which is sort of some of the collective intelligence that the other shift um that's an easier dynamic for probably a younger generation that have lived more interconnected than it is for a, an older generation so I'm just thinking, you know, it can be as simple as one leader getting in touch with one other younger person. It doesn't need to be anything more massive than that. And that can start to make a significant shift. Yep. And and as, and if that older leader just asks questions and listens, that's that's a huge step in the right the right direction. I have so many questions I could ask about that, but we'll be here all day. Uh, I, 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 I think for a future reflection, I think is... Um, you know, as as very senior leadership transfers from boomers down to millennials, um, I wonder what the place of those of us that would consider ourselves Gen Xers is. We've always been a confused generation, and I, I think there's there's some some probably some interesting stuff there. But we have not time for that today. So, unless you've got a quick response, Rich. Well, no, there really is some some interesting interesting conversations about there. My, my, again, my observation is that there are some Gen X that will step forward and lead, but many are almost setting themselves against the model that they've seen in the Boomer generation. So it's I I don't want to be that, but the, a lot of Gen X don't have the answer of. And so I want to be this. So there is this kind of pause of that. There's a sort of stepping back from I I really don't want to recreate that. Whereas what I would observe in the millennial generation is they are a generation that are stepping up and putting their putting their hands up. So there's a real sense of a millennial saying, yes, I'm ready to lead, whereas probably a Gen X going I, I'm not sure. So, so the boomer and the millennial generation are both quite happy. The boomer to take responsibility, and the millennial to lead. Whereas this this in between sandwich generation of which I'm I'm one um, is a mixture of I don't want that, but I'm not sure what I do want. So, so this kind of pause, and then the millennial comes into that space. Yeah, I mean it's interesting times, isn't it? So many different 
ways. And I think COVID has exacerbated that, but actually maybe given us the opportunity to face some of these realities as well and say, well, everything did change and, and now we need to kind of maximise that and, and learn the lessons from that um, in a helpful way. Yeah, and and it it really it segues quite easily, Lisa, into the sort of second shift of collective mm. intelligence because collective intelligence is one of the markers of that younger generation. They they want to be in the decisions, they want to speak into it, and so the the piece in that that second shift, the collective intelligence shift, is is around taking away from the one celebrity one genius so we we use a term senius in the book so s-c-e-n-i-u-s which is brian eno who studied he's a musician studied mm -hmm. art and music and basically that my, my short headline of what he did lots of work and thinking on was history always remembers the hero mm -hmm. and around every one of those heroes the the picasso the van gogh the whoever there's always a scene mm -hmm. so it's the genius of the scene so you drop the g for the lone genius put the the sc on so there was always an environment and a community mm -hmm. around that person that they they maybe became the sort of lightning rod that everyone remembers and sees but actually the collective intelligence of the scene so um closer to home for us when we think of the the inklings or the clapham sect mm -hmm. so lewis and tolkien in the inklings just sat talking sort of both reminiscing and dreaming forward and working out how do we message the good news in a way that captivates the nation and mm -hmm. thinking of wilberforce who's the name that is known yes but actually that scene around him that that not only the abolition of slavery but numerous other organizations that still are the framework of our society today so that picture of how do you create the genius of the scene how does a collective group solve problems and that's one side of it the other side of it is we now need adaptive solutions we need adaptive responses so there's no one simple quick fix and expert and sort of change this cog and everything works there's often at the moment the situations the church are facing there's no known solution there's no easy quick fix and there's no this expert's done it 10 times before so so i i often say there's there's nobody that's led through a global pandemic therefore there's no technical solution of here's our tried and tested ministry model to see you through the pandemic it's We've got to listen, pray, discern, and together find a way forward. So, mm -hmm. so that collective intelligence to be more adaptive and more dynamic, as well as more communal to access the, the genius that's in many, not just one or two, that's a vital, vital shift for leadership, like right now, let alone 2050. <laughs> That's just a great insight, isn't it? The whole um, scene thing, you know, whether it's the impressionists or the writers or, you know, Excellent. social justice. Um, and actually, you know, as as Baptists, that fits really well into something that we think is really important, which is, you know, communal discernment together, the gathered people of God listening to the Holy Spirit. And um, and actually, that isn't a hero mentality, is it? It, it is a, about us together sensing that. And um, I mean, how, how, what does that look like on the page? You know, how, how do we do that? I mean, some people love talking together and and kind of, banging around ideas and concepts and and things like that and others others find that more challenging how how do you see that working out in our church context yeah i, I just to highlight i i think it's absolutely in the the theology and ecclesiology of the baptist community community and community it really is something that is there in the water already so it, it's almost in one sense remembering what exists and, and recovering that in the context of a leadership meeting, not necessarily a church meeting. Um, so it's it's finding the way. So I, I would say, Lisa, again, um, my orientation is always to both, it's, it's reflective praxis. So you can't just understand the concept and the theory and the theology conceptually mm -hmm. without actually doing and trying and testing and learning acting your way into a new way of thinking yeah. as well as thinking your way into a new way, new way of acting so in terms of collective intelligence if if there's a, a leader listening now 
I would say, who are the three to five trusted voices? Mm -hmm. But I would challenge you, who are the three to five diverse voices? So different skills, maybe different season of life, uh, different uh, attributes. So you're not looking for groupthink, which is I got four people that are exactly like me. We had a great conversation. We absolutely <laughs> enjoyed it. And so I, I often there's a wonderful um in a, in a, a Matthew Syed book, he talks of the basically the MPs that came up with the idea of poll tax. Yeah. And the the band in terms of their heritage, their history, all of those different things that basically meant they had a wonderful time and came up with an idea that was absolutely fatally flawed. But their response to the surveys was, we had a wonderful time working together, vibrant discussions, we were really aligned, and we felt we came up with a great solution. Yeah. So when we're talking about this collective intelligence, there has to be that. So even age, if you're thinking about your church, is there one young person and one older person? Is mm-hmm. there somebody that lives in this part of the, the town and other part of the town? Is there somebody that's in the marketplace, in business or in education or in health? Because if if we were sat, the three of us in a room, and we put a, put a vase or put a microphone in the middle of the room, we would see the same objects, mm-hmm. but a different perspective. So we'd see a different side, a, a different feel. So Find that group, practice around, again, probably a problem or a possibility. So it might be we're going to think about re- reimagining our Sunday gathering or we're going to think about community engagement or how do we serve the community at Christmas or what might we do at Easter or how do we embrace the local high school or how do we... So pick pick something. And then just start to, to, you need to brainstorm and opportunities, possibilities and thoughts, and then start to sharpen it around our vision, our values, what we know, what we could do, can't do, budget. So it's almost like a funnel where eventually you come to a sense of clarity, mm-hmm. conviction, resolution. Mm-hmm. And honestly, at that point, Lisa, it's just a prototype and a theory that yeah. you've then got to test. <laughs> so you sort of reflect practice reflect practice so it's that iterative cycle which again most younger leaders are more used Mm to um because i i'm gaming and i'm learning and i'm trying and i'm dying and i'm going back again and so this this sort of iterative cycle Mm -hmm. in lots of ways is a more natural Mm -hmm. worldview than it is for a i did it once i failed i'm a failure or one big launch or one big whatever so so there's there's real goals in the scene in terms of wisdom but also in terms of learning I mean that's so good isn't it and it's back to those same values about openness and listening because if I think I know the answers and I'm basically telling you or expecting you to rubber stamp my but actually it's also you know from experience so much more exciting to do things in that format and it's amazing how much wisdom other people bring to the conversation isn't it um and then whenever you do decide something You've got all those people are already bought in and engaged and owning it because they've shared in the process of decision making and so on as well. So it, it's just so much more of a positive experience. Oh, well, it, yeah, it it neuters the I've got a great idea and I need to find some volunteers to make my idea a reality. Um, it it neuters the I've got a great idea. How do I communicate it to the church to be excited? And it neuters the I've got a good idea and it's probably right syndrome, which all, all three of those are not, not helpful. And so I, I know I'm probably the worst of worst of many in that regard. So for me, the it, it's it actually grows me as a Christ-like disciple and leader as I listen and as I learn and as I see and hear other people's perspectives. So so, Glenn, some of the people that you named on the list. So, like Onea is part of our team, and she is an incredible gift to me as a as a sociologist and as a pastor, as a, a black woman in the North American church. There's so much that I learn as we go about our team dynamics and strategy or culture or focus. And so there's there's so much that you actually gain, not just sort of strategically, but personally in formation I think as you put yourself in those relationships yeah and that's that's great Rich I am um, 
you've talked a lot about the kind of adaptive change piece there and and the fact that it's it it's different and i, I wonder if there's an inherent humility that requires a breadth of voices in recognizing that the changes that are required for the future of the church are adaptive changes and not just technical changes. It's not just about fixing simple things. It's about deeply complex spaces that we haven't gone before. So why would we know the answer? Yeah. Um, the fourth shift you make uh, or, or suggest is that actually Jesus is to be our model of leadership. And um, at some level, that is uh, could be the Sunday school answer, right? It's like, Jesus is always no. the right answer, of course. Uh, but um, I wonder, I, I wonder would, you, would you talk to us a little about what you mean by that uh, when you when you encourage us to see Jesus as the, as the kind of model for this? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Grant. Jesus is always the answer, so you, you can't you can't finish without that. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, there's so much that we could say, but but I think it's both posturing ourselves towards a Christ-like leadership, but it's also moving away from some of the models that we've seen. So so not necessarily the the individuals, um, but the sense of celebrity power management systems bottom line hierarchy that there's so many things that just set humanity and and often male leaders up um so from my perspective that there's sort of two or three things that i pull out in the book there are so many that i could one would just be that the servant leadership so servant leadership sacrificial love choosing to limit your own agency or power or celebrity or acclaim and invest it into and for the good of others. So there's a real shift from celebrity leadership to servant leadership in the way of Jesus. So stepping into that sacrificial both mindset but also praxis to an, an activity to step into that um, I think there's something of a recovery of the the spiritual engine of leadership uh, rather than the strategic engine of leadership. We've been in the, the the sort of years of strategic plans and systems and processes, and so I I, I often talk about we we've gone from an agrarian culture to an industrial culture, and honestly, that's our picture of church and leadership has followed. So. There's no longer the messiness of sowing seeds and watering gardens and seasons and fruit. It's far more factories and production lines and processes and balance sheets. So there's a shift back to that spiritual, which is personal formation, it's integrity, it's prayer. Um, there's just a sense, again, of seeing the way Jesus both spoke to the Pharisee and the woman in adultery, that that Jesus was as normal and everyday around the table as he was on the boat, as he was in the synagogue. There's, there's a sense of how do we bring back the, again, it, the, probably the wrong language, but a sense of celebrating the spiritual rather than just elevating the, the strategic Um so they they would be two, the sort of sacrificial servant leadership, the spiritual engine of leadership. And then I think the third piece would be Jesus was the ultimate movement maker. Jesus took a ragtag bunch of individuals who weren't part of the religious system of the day. They'd failed the disciple exams. They were doing different trades. They weren't in the sort of up and upwardly mobile. And he basically formed them, shaped them. They went from sort of observers to disciples, to leaders, to movement makers. And, and that sense of leadership is going right full circle to your first question, Lisa. Leadership is releasing kingdom potential in others. It's not building up yourself or your platform or your organization. We actually need to die to see resurrection in and through others. We need to choose to be a seed that goes to the ground to produce a harvest. So from my perspective, the Christ-like leadership really is your fruit grows on other people's trees, that there's second, third, fourth generation impact that nobody knows who you are. Um, but actually, there is a sense of a kingdom commission rather than just an organizational 
priority or or strategy um that that's the sense which uh, for me it's it's something that pulls me forward to the future that i stumble and fail in every single day um but it's for me it's the call of in my weakness in my brokenness in the the cultural tidal drift towards management celebrity strategy efforts how do i continue to to seek in the power of the holy spirit to swim swim the other direction as as best i can with a little bit of help um so so there's some other things i mean there's so much more we could talk about but i think that that essence of um again i dream that the the average person in the street when they hear the word church their mental shortcut wouldn't be to old cold drafty outdated building someday but actually would be their mental model their mental map their sort of mental shortcuts would be to integrity justice social impact community love hospitality welcome and and the thought of that that's a leadership journey it's a culture journey for leaders to begin to form and shape a different different path forward for themselves and for the church so there's there's a sort of aspiration there that pulls us forward which is the good news of the gospel yeah and there is something in there as well rich about that that focus on spirituality and integrity that that comes from having jesus as your model that mitigates against some of the I guess the the bigger problems that we've seen, you know, most, you know, some of the spectacular ones in North America, but the, you know, the reality is it's it's true here too, that um, we can begin to address some of those toxicities in in leadership that have come from that kind of model. Yeah, d- definitely. I think both both the the propensity that humans have to sin, I do, we do, we all do. Um, but also, I think we have to name and own the fact that our systems don't help. That the way that we built, what we've built, and how we built, and what it celebrates, and what it what the, the the honestly the relational pressure on most church leaders right now, the social pressure, the isolation that you've got nineteen jobs to do, even though you've got one job title and meager resources, and so it, it is a thankless task to be a church leader right now. It was a thankless task before COVID, kind of now it really is. So I have such a sort of, yeah, just real admiration for leaders that are seeking to grow and build faith communities at this moment. From my perspective, some of the things we've talked about help them not to feel like they have to do it on their own. And some of the system systemic changes and cultural changes help them to feel like they're not fighting and running against the tide. So there's a personal journey, there's a communal in the context of church, and there's a, a systemic denominational journey. All three of those need to see some repentance and some shift and change. And that that's a huge statement to make. It isn't one that one or two people can drive through or it's a it's a holy spirit work that we together commit to over honestly over many generations not not just the next year or the next three-year plan i was going to ask a question but actually what you've just said is incredibly a powerful statement isn't it that we we need to acknowledge where we are and uh and kind of lament a bit for some of the patterns and practices that we've taken on board and and kind of enforced on other people um, and kind of pretended work when actually there's not necessarily much much truth in that. Um, and, and a desperate need for the Holy Spirit to be at work, to bring change. I, I actually love what you said about the agrarian to the industrial. I, I think that captures something of, of that, um, you know, strategy and production and systems and and if we do this then this will come out the other end and and that's how we'll judge whether we're successful or not and and there's something so liberating about the agrarian which says I'll just plant some seeds and if the weather's appropriate they'll grow and do well and if it isn't well they might not you know but it it takes the pressure massively off us achieving doesn't it you know our, our part in it is is much simpler and and that allows us as as christian leaders to 
acknowledge God's part in it, in it. There's that, that verse, you know, God brings the increase, isn't there? You know, that there's that it's beyond us. I I think that's actually liberating. And and the rhythms of rest and work and you know, winter and springtime and, and harvest to quote him. Um, you know, it, it it allows us to be a part of a pattern of rhythm and behavior and practice that is just has to be so much more healthy for us, doesn't it? Oh, it really does, Lisa. And and I again I love a strategy more than the next person. So for me, I think I'm probably communicating from a, it's a personal journey for me that I've gone on as a, a discovery journey where it, it is absolutely liberating because then you have a sense of strategy, but you're not holding it so tightly or pushing it so hard that it becomes your thing, your strategy and, and the output, the outcome. So no, you definitely, yeah, I would just affirm affirm that. And I think, the, the sense, again, going back to some of the other shifts is a lot of the millennials will just say, I'm not going to do that. And, and that's what we say. It's like, I'm not going to recreate that pattern. I'm not going to fit in that box. I'm, I'm not going to do and and maintain what you've built. I'm going to go do something different. So, so there is a, again, there's a sort of tension point there of what's been built. Probably if if it is the keys are passed on to a different generation, it, it probably isn't that they're just going to change the color on the walls and keep everything the same, that they they will either not take the keys or and go do something else, or they will actually want to completely remodel what, what exists right now. Rich, that's brilliant. Uh, really, really helpful. And I think that is a great place for us uh, to wrap up this very helpful conversation. Um, we will, of course, point people in the show notes to the book, but uh, I'm sure you can get it in all good book uh, stores online. Uh, and I'm sure the 100 Movements publishing website also will sell some to you. Uh, I'd highly recommend it. Um, Red Skies, 10 Essential Conversations, Exploring Our Future as the Church. Uh, headlined by our good friend Rich Robinson uh, and some others. Uh, Rich, thank you so much for your time today and for your wisdom. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, um, confession, I guess. I've never actually met Rich Robinson before, but that was a really fascinating conversation and um, lots and lots of things that have sparked um, other thoughts inside my head and that I feel like I need to go away and do some reflection on and think more about and how would that actually work and how would it work for me and so um kind of just one thing really I suppose it, it's part of that agrarian industrial transition bit really um around um working at the spiritual engine rather than the strategic engine I think that he said um and I mean it's so, sort of obvious I mean it's the kind of things that we all would nod our head and go yeah yeah that, that's right yeah. um and then and then we do more planning and more strategy um and maybe pray that God will will bless what we do and and it feels to me like it it's deeper isn't it than you know just I don't mean just but you know praying and reading our Bible I mean obviously it is those things but it's it's a deeper yeah. thing it's about the source and motivation and foundation of everything we are I guess in the way that Jesus said he only did what he saw the father doing and yeah. you know that before he was launched into his public ministry he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit it's it's something deep within our core and identity out of which all the other stuff comes um and yeah um and, and I guess we know that but it's it's being it, it's living it, it's in it every day, because that's not challenging at all, is it? <laughs> um, and, and making sure that we don't, I suppose it's like, you know, just jump straight to answering emails or making a plan or whatever, but something deep within us says that spending time in God's presence and being shaped and formed by that is the most important thing that we could do as our leadership before mm -hmm everything else so, yeah, yeah, I don't know I've, a bit more reflection on that I think yeah I, I, I think that's great I, there's something that goes along with that though which is is recognizing the dominant culture that 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 um what was it you said the, the kind of factory 
mm. motif, the industrial mm. motif. And and the factory's only interested in what you can produce. Mm -hmm. And one of the really hard pieces about what you just said, Lisa, I think, is that that as leaders, if we invest in that spiritual depth and growth, we, we, we know that's the right thing to do, except it's very hard to point to what you've produced mm -hmm. in, in that context. Whereas if you sit down with your emails, well, I might argue you'll not produce anything sitting down with your emails either, but the, <laughs> I think in, in theory you can sit at the end and say, well, I emptied I my that. inbox or ticked off some things from my to-do yeah. list or I wrote that letter that needed writing or I wrote that sermon or or mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. arranged that agenda or whatever. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And And actually that's a massive culture change that needs to be embraced not just as individuals but as um yeah i guess as organizations and teams that says something <laughs> closer to uh we are committed to flourishing mm -hmm. um and we anticipate that that will produce things but the production's not the goal because if the production's the goal then flourishing doesn't matter well, that's right, and we're wired, aren't we, to judge stuff by what we do, what we've done, what we can demonstrate, um, pretty much over and above everything else, really. Yeah. Um, so that's a massive shift, isn't it, on yeah. how do I, you know, from the day we start school, we're assessed on what we produce. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that it is worth noting, though, that, I mean, that's a relatively late modern invention, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's not how we thought of ourselves as human beings through history and that's right um, yeah but the the you know certainly post-industrial revolution our, our value is in what we produce and particularly you know, in the we, you know our, our part of the world yeah and we might want to critique that in a hundred different ways but i think just recognizing it's the water mm. we swim in mm -hmm. is means that the kind of stuff you're talking about is is genuinely countercultural and yeah. and will even within a church context will require some significant stretch to to lean into mm -hmm. that kind of space mm -hmm. that's really what, helpful that's really what about helpful. you glenn what uh, i i could see um because obviously i can see your face on this one um i could see you reacting to things there was clearly things you thought yeah yeah no i'm not sure about that what was the what was the thing um no i think i mean there's loads i you know rich is is a brilliant communicator and he, he talks with with really helpful kind of pictures and ideas and and i i i was the the whole collective decision making piece i i think is really really interesting um i i have come some questions about about how in practice the generational piece works and and i have some um i guess concerns that that kind of generational analysis can be a bit of a blunt tool um at, at, at times but i think i think to be fair to rich that the, the the kind of general themes that he's talking about are generally true so mm -hmm. you know uh and and it, and it is back to that point that i think you made in the conversation was that that as baptists we ought to be pretty well positioned to deal with this and yet i don't see mm. a swath of uh of young people queuing up to go to church meetings. Um, Do not. I mean, we always have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah liar. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I, I think, uh, and so, so either Rich's uh, analysis is wrong and, mm -hmm. and they're not really interested in collective decision-making. And, and, and the truth is it's not just Rich's analysis. There's a lot of <laughs> other really smart people that are also saying that that's the kind of trend among millennials, in which case then I think it says something to us about the kind mm. of meetings we're having and whether they are legitimately about um, collective decision-making mm -hmm. and uh, seeking the mind of Christ together mm -hmm. or whether they are... Um, as actually many of our church meetings are called these days, business meetings, and how to turn people off in a hurry is to say, do you want to come to a yeah. business meeting? And um, and they've become things that need to produce something. And yeah. they just roll through a whole load of things because it's, it's more efficient that way mm -hmm. rather than 
would you like to come to our collective decision making meeting or our gathering of mm -hmm. thinking about the future and making sure that there's a an equal voice for uh, the youngest person in the room as much as there is for the oldest person or you know all the other spaces and we actually maybe start to try and live out what Paul wrote in Galatians mm -hmm. that there really is neither male nor female nor Jew nor Gentile mm -hmm. or slave nor free in the context of the church and so yeah. um I think there's a real uh, both a real opportunity for us in in what Rich is saying but there's a real challenge too because because it will require us what well, I, I keep saying us but I'm 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 extrapolating from my experience and saying I assume it is true of most other places. And I think that's right. Hmm. That that it will require of us to change the way that we run those meetings. And actually I think there's a case to be made that it would make them more true to what they're supposed to be, which is Definitely. together discerning the mind of Christ, not simply here's what the pastor or, the, or at best case the leadership group have decided we would like you to rubber stamp this, please. Mm -hmm. Um and so to move on from there. I'm sure mm. your leadership meeting, your your church meetings were never like that in Skipton, and that you you did them perfectly already. Yeah, well, maybe not perfectly, but actually, we did invest a lot of time and energy in in trying to bring bring about change from that model of, and we did we did not call them business meetings. I mean, that is that you're right, um, and we started to have a worship time that was not just a song at the beginning and one at the end, but one where we sort of tried to listen to what God might be saying and worked quite hard on kind of breaking down into groups and having people to talk with each other about things and pray together and different creative ways of feeding back. So, yeah, I mean, actually, they just became much more positive, much much less confrontational at times, and people people said they liked coming. I mean... It's a bit shocking, isn't it? Amazing. But there, there was a sense, you know, not always, and we had some challenging ones. But when it was when it was good, it did feel like it was functioning in the in the way that a, a church gathered meeting of people who are listening to God and contributing together to the whole yeah. was supposed to happen, and that was just such a positive experience for for everyone, I think, including me. I mean, Brilliant. I felt much more positive about them. And I mean, it, just because of what you said there about much less confrontational, I, I'm interested. Do you think that some of that was related to the fact that you were a female leading those meetings, or did that have nothing to do with it whatsoever at all? Um, I I don't even know if I can answer that because I'm just. I think that it was a mixture of me, but also the team that I was working okay. with, yeah. and I think we just. We just didn't like it being confrontational. I mean, it wasn't a pleasant place to be and and actually didn't feel like what it was meant to be either. Um, so it was a, a kind of intent. It was definitely intentional on the, the part of our team together to do that. Good. I mean, I think that's really interesting because I think if we want to embrace this future opportunity with millennials, I think that is one of the windows that mm -hmm. we have or... Uh, that we can open to say, well, look, that we already committed to this. We perhaps don't practice it as mm -hmm. well as we might, but we've got an opportunity there. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that that Rich talked about that's worth just touching on is that that kind of whole the future will not be the same as it mm. is right now. And you know, we've been talking about this through the increased vision and our commitment to yeah. everything from new pathways for developing different kinds of leaders. Uh, through to some of the church planting that we want to encourage, particularly in the innovation space and the experimental space. And uh, we just want to say to people that that's going on, uh, that we've got stuff happening there uh, to uh, keep in touch with us uh, through the website, sign up for Connect, um, all that kind of stuff that allows you uh, to hear what's going on and to engage in various ways that will hopefully help you to live that out well. And of course, we recognize prayers at the very core of that. And we continue to have uh, regional gatherings uh, around the nation mm -hmm. uh, in 2023. Uh, think, we're looking forward to those. Uh, I think the first one is in Edinburgh. Is that right? I think the first one is in Edinburgh, unless somebody gets in touch with me and says, we can fit one in before the 22nd of January. 
Yeah, right. And I'm not so, sure you really want them to get in touch with you to see. Well, we I'm not sure, but we've had two they... really, really good evenings. So right. yeah, I just encourage you to get along when it's near you. Fantastic. And uh, this will be our last podcast for 2022. Uh, it's been yeah. great. It's been a, such really a different good. experience to do them uh, with an, a co-host. And uh, you've been fabulous, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we will be back in 2023 with some more guests uh, and some more thinking around the areas of church and discipleship and mission. Mm -hmm. Uh, Until then, uh, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year when it comes. Yep, Happy Christmas and Happy New Year. We are out.